Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show on subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Holy cow! Look at that view! Right? That's the backdrop for the show tonight. That's got to be one of the best views in the entire city. I've always wanted to come here to Dizzy's Club and Jazz at Lincoln Center, and this view of Central Park is only sweetening the deal. I, I can't believe we're going to get to sit back and enjoy some amazing jazz and watch the sunset over the park. This is amazing. True. Could you imagine doing this while seeing some of the legends of jazz, though? Like Dizzy Gillespie himself, or John Coltrane, or Ella Fitzgerald, or even Billie Holiday? That would be pretty amazing. But I'm sure tonight won't disappoint. Oh, no, not at all. The music here is always amazing. In fact, we live in one of the best cities for jazz. There are so many clubs I still want to go to. Sounds like we have some work to do, then. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we're going to be discussing the iconic show, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. We're going to love you come rain or come shine. And with today's episode, we are especially going to show some affection as we dive into the biopic show, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. The intimate and stirring show brought audiences behind the curtain of the life and final performance of Billie Holiday and saw a brilliant performance from the star of the show as well. But before the concert can begin, we must first go back and set the groundwork. Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill premiered at the Alliance Theater, Atlanta, Georgia on April 16, 1986 with direction by Woody King Jr. and Rini Upchurch as Billie Holiday. The play was next produced off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater on June 5, 1986 and then opened in a Vineyard Theatre production at the Westside Theatre on September 7, 1986. This production closed on May 17, 1987, after 281 performances. Directed by André Ernette, Lynette McKee starred as Holiday. In February 1987, S. Epatha Merkerson took over the role of Billie Holiday. The play won the 1987 Outer Critics Circle Award for Best Off-Broadway Book for Robinson. The Hollywood Playhouse in California produced Lady Day in October 1987, directed by Andre Ernott, and with S. Apatha Merkerson reprising her role as Holiday. Ernott said that he wanted to deglamorize Billy, show the dark, sad side. 
So it's not so much at a nightclub act as a theater play with music. He also noted that Merkerson brought another aspect to the role as an actress rather than a singer. The play was presented at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut in November 2005 with Ernestine Jackson as Billie Holiday. This is the perfect time to introduce our design team. The playwright is Lanny Robertson, featuring songs by Billie Holiday. The director is Lonnie Price, scenic design by James No One, costume design Amelia Sosa, lighting design Robert Wierzel, sound design Steve Kenyon Kennedy, wig and special makeup effects J. Jared Janis and Rob Green, and makeup design by Jill Oshry. The show welcomed theater goers on April 13, 2014, where it would stay for 173 performances, closing on October 5, 2014. The play was originally scheduled for a limited 10-week engagement, but was extended several times. That season, the show would be nominated for two Tony Awards and win both. Best Sound Design of a Play for Steve Canyon Kennedy, and Best Actress in a Play, Audra McDonald, who played Billie Holiday. Audra McDonald won her record-breaking sixth Tony Award for the production, and she became the only person to win in all four acting categories, this time winning for Best Actress in a Play. The 2014 Broadway production was filmed at the Café Brazil in New Orleans and broadcast on HBO on March 12, 2016. Audra McDonald received a 2016 Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Lead Actress in a limited series or movie for her role in the broadcast. McDonald was expected to reprise her role in the West End at the Windhams Theatre from June 15 through September 3, 2016. She was to take a three-month break from her role on Broadway in Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed. However, in a change announced on May 10, 2016, Lady Day was postponed because McDonald and her husband, Will Swenson, were expecting a baby. She said, in part, quote, Of course, I'm disappointed I have to postpone my West End debut in Lady Day, but I look forward to rescheduling as soon as possible. The play was rescheduled with McDonald making her West End debut at Windham's Theatre from June 27, 2017 through September 9, 2017. So with that, let us pour a drink and settle into the sweet sounds that are Lady Day herself. legendary Billie Holiday, Lady Day Emerson's Bar and Grill, is a play with music that will make you feel like you're front and center witnessing the jazz legend herself perform and share anecdotes about her life. The play takes place in March of 1959 at a rundown bar in South Philadelphia, Emerson's Bar and Grill, where Holiday performs her well-known jazz songs and charms the audience with her natural joy for music and life. Though the narrative is historical fiction, Holiday shares real stories about her life, about everything from love affairs to substance abuse and segregation. 
The performance is one of her last before her death in July of 1959. Holiday is accompanied by Jimmy Powers on the piano, a good friend and love of hers, who calms her and helps her as she becomes increasingly intoxicated throughout the night. The, the end. end. talk about the parts of the show we liked or that maybe could use some work um i have a few notes from ms mcdonald no i'm totally kidding um <laughs> oh my gosh uh first of all i i, I know it's been years but uh, snaps and kudos and applause and just bow down to miss audrey mcdonald's six tony awards all the acting categories is there anything she can't do? And she's just a fierce woman and activist and just all around amazing human being um, with a great sense of humor. And she's just so kind. And we'll get to that later. But um, I just want to get that out of the way. And now back to the show. I really adored the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was something so transformative about Audra's performance I'm trying to think if we if I saw her in person perform before no. we saw this. So no. I had only ever heard her on soundtracks. And then I had heard Billie Holiday on soundtracks, right? So then I see this. And the fact that Audra sounded exactly like Billie I Holiday. The mannerisms. The, the mannerisms, speech patterns. The speech patterns, the way she vocalized. <clears throat> everything was so... Perfect. Yeah. Um, not and and for me, not just for the music, but for the heartbreaking and truthful story of the soul of it. Like that's what made the show amazing. Like it wasn't just a you know as as it was put it you know it is a play with songs, but it, we weren't just going through Billy Holiday's song catalog and being like oh yeah, the stories that accompanied it and told the story of her life and you realize just this just tumultuous life this wonderful artist went through and you 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 know hindsight is twenty twenty, but you you start to understand where and how this beautiful artist came from well and why she had substance abuse problems right and, and alcohol abuse and but i mean <clears throat> some of the best artists that exist or have existed their greatness has come from a, a place of darkness and when we can look back after they've passed and you go, okay, a great example, Robin Williams, mm -hmm. one of the best comedians of of all time, one of the greatest, sadly, you know, took his own life. But he, the demons that he battled, the deep, dark depression that he battled, and you go, how could he be so funny and so entertaining and just able to connect with everyone, but still be so, such a sad person that literally is though kind of where art comes from. It comes from such a raw and horrible place. And and as humanity, we have to understand that joy doesn't necessarily come from joy. Mm -hmm. It create it, it's something that might be created from somewhere of a place of lack of joy. Well, and it can you know it oftentimes expression comes out of desperation, and yeah. so. Um, 
It it was amazing. It seeing just Audra transform and dig out this this. Oh, I'm well, trying to find the right word. This so, this tragedy that comes out, and then you're able. I, I I think there was. It's either an album or a book. Lady Day sings the blues. To be able to bring out into some of these songs these experiences that Audra's never lived but to make them real. So I think a lot of it comes to the stream of consciousness that you can tell the character is going on. Um, Because oftentimes, you know, with jazz shows, they're like, okay, this is the set list. This is what we'd like to do. And somewhere someone was like, okay, we're going to do this song and then this song. And there was a rhyme and reason to it. But in the way that the show was done, it was set up, but then you the sh- the songs start to reflect the stream of consciousness that Billie Holiday is having. Because they kept pushing God bless the child, and she's like, no, I don't want to do that. Right, which kept bringing up these bad memories, so then about she kept mother, drinking. About her mother, about her childhood, yep. And, and so that's, that's why this is definitely a play with music. And normally, I would say a play with music doesn't have music that pushes the plot, but because of how entangled Billie Holiday was to her music, that's why these songs still push the plot. The music but was the, the words only thing that pulled her out of these it, horrible moments in her life. Her mm-hmm. substance abuse, Where, her alcoholism, her... Yeah. Whereas the music <clears throat> is not... The, the lyrics of the story, the lyrics of the, of the songs aren't necessarily what's driving the story, but what those songs represented to Billie Holiday is what's driving the plot, which I just think is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that made the whole experience amazing, and it felt like being transported back in time. Um, Real quick, shout out to Pepe the dog, who was also on the show. Um, I love that there there are basically three characters, three cast members, Audra, uh, I can't think of the, forgive me, I can't think of the actor who played the, the accompanist. Jimmy Powers. Yeah, and then Pepe the dog. Mm-hmm. He got his own little bio thing, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Um, but the last thing I want to mention before we go into um, our our little boxes is I just, I learned so much from this singular show that I never knew before, you know, about how hard her life was and why she turned to drugs and alcohol. Um, and it's so upsetting because one of the things that, at least for me, that I found just so upsetting is it's not unique. Her story isn't necessarily unique. When I found out that, you know, she was almost raped by a man at the age of 12, that's not unique because Ethel Waters. Mm-hmm. That she, you know, was a child of unwed parents that could have been possibly been a, a case of rape. Again, Ethel Waters uh, grew up in a poor neighborhood full of violence. Ella Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- this is not a unique story, but look at these incredible artists that have come out of these horrible situations. But what? How much do we know about off their offstage life? And when we pull back that curtain, <clears throat> what did we do to help, or did we just want? Go sing this song. And there's a brilliant story in there about how she was performing and the club owner <clears throat> didn't want to pay her because she didn't sing God Bless the Child. And she had said, I, I wrote that song for my mom and my mom had just died. And I just couldn't do it. 
I just, it, or it was the anniversary of my mother's passing. I just couldn't sing that song. And he just kept pushing. He just kept pushing. And that, it made you think like, where is the line between artist and human? And there shouldn't be because the art comes from humanity. Right. So it's at what point do we, do, I mean, do we really create these people and then just destroy them? You know, and this is part of a larger conversation. I've had it with people who were like, you know, when Britney Spears had her breakdown and everybody was like, oh, and I'm like, did did she do that to herself or did we as a collective society do that to her? Right. Well, and it also comes to this idea of here's this artist who just wants to share with us their art and then we've somehow as a society taken ownership of it. And, and of that artist <laughs> and their life. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the artist being like, this is the part of my life you get, and this is the part you get. Which is why I respect artists like Sia, who's like, you can enjoy my songs, and you can enjoy my performances, but when that's done, that's it. This is a boundary. Mm-hmm. There, and there's nothing wrong with that. Which is why, and, and, and I'm going to wrap this up, but like, I, I love stage dooring, but your ticket entitles you to get into the theater to have a seat or standing room, depending on what your ticket is, to see the show and to leave the theater. That's it. You are not entitled to speak to the actors or anybody, to get autographs, to get... That doesn't come with your ticket price. All those other moments that may or may not happen are... Extra. Yeah, bonus features that are given at the discretion of... The person. So I hate when people are like, I pay their salary. They at least can sign up. No. You do pay their salary and they gave you what you paid for. Do not act like you own... That their, artist. Yeah. They, and you own their personal life. And that life. they owe you something. Right. Because they've already given it to you. We have to stop acting like everybody owes us something. Or we're going to get more artists like the incredible Billie Holiday, which... I don't want another artist to go down that route. I want more Billie Holidays in the creative aspect, not the offstage light aspect, because it is so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But Audra did a beautiful <clears throat> job of, of portraying that. Like you, I, I just wanted to reach out and just like be like, Billie, can I help you? Like, can I hug you? Can I just, you did, you wanted to, and, and, and not just like my heart wanting to reach out. I vocally wanted to be like, please stop drinking. Like, but mama, <laughs> please you know, stop drinking. Put but the it, drink it, down. It, it felt that intimate <laughs> and it felt that real and you felt like maybe you could make a difference. Um, and you, because we all knew how it was going to end and we didn't want it to end that way. Mm-hmm. We thought maybe if we did something, we could alter, which it's like the Haiti sound thing where you, you just want to distract Orpheus and be like, look at me, look at me, shiny thing, shiny thing. But you know, you can't like, it's, you know how it's going to end. But you'd come back and see it again because it's just worth it. So, okay, enough of that. I've been on a soapbox on a TED Talk. Should we go into our da-da-da-da little boxes? How's that I song? don't think we need a theme song for the little boxes. I was going to get lights and everything. I might even hire the crew from Aladdin to get, you know, fireworks. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's start with set. So, I love the way they did the circle in the square theater. Um for this show because it really was set up like a nightclub. Exactly. It was transformative when you walked in um, with the club seating on the stage, mm-hmm. with the tables that you could order drinks down there. Mm-hmm. 
And then they had that um, that green curtain mm-hmm. over where like the stage was, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was and and those old lights. They weren't fancy lights either, because remember we were still in like a dive bar. Kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right. Like, everything about the theater felt like you walked in and... Well, and I seem to remember, you know, in that background, like, behind the stage, there was some projections. And you'd get mm-hmm. to see, like, images of the real people in the story. And I remember um, in one of the moments where she was talking about segregation and lynching, seeing all the photos... When she sang Strange Fruit. Mm-hmm. That were just up in the background. And it just hit me so hard and so real. And it, it, it just was a beautiful way to display that information. Yeah. And, the, I, you know, I, I want to share a story real quick regarding segregation and Billie Holiday and that. Because I'm pretty sure she shared this story. This is where I heard this story. But if not, I mean, it's worth telling. There's a great story, and it's about Lena Horne, if I remember right. Lena Horne was the guest of honor, the main performer at the Waldorf Astoria in 1957, I think. Might have been the 40s. But anyway, <clears throat> Lena Horne was the main performer or guest of honor or something. And she shows up at the Waldorf Astoria and she's led to the back entrance, has to go through the kitchen, and taken up in the service elevator to the grand ballroom because she's of color. She cannot enter through the front and go amongst the guests. She has to go the back way. But she's the, you know, guest of honor. And and I'm I am almost certain that I heard I remember Billy Holiday telling the story in the show and just thinking, isn't that funny that we value and we praise and we hold up these performers of color and we want to hear them sing and oh my gosh, it's amazing. But we don't want them mingling or being amongst us. Yeah. It's appalling. And so I remember hearing that and just being like, you got to be kidding me. That that can't be a real story. And I, I looked it up and, and yep. I So I wanted to share that because you brought up the projections during Strange Fruit. And throughout the show. Yeah, throughout the show. Um, but the other, I love that you mentioned that because it was behind, like I said, that green curtain that they had hanging and some plants. Um, which and it was it was set up beautifully we were basically in the thrust mm-hmm. which was great we weren't in the round um, it looked like and then they had hazers all around which gave the entire theater that smoky feel of like an old cabaret club of right like that people 60s. would be smoking in the audience and... I mean I mean I was clearly you know <laughs> um, I, I re- one of the details I remember the most do you, and I'm, I'm not sure if you do do you remember the black and white tile I really remember the black and white checker tile I don't remember oh, that part. I totally remember that. I don't know why that stuck out in my mind, but as we were working on the script, I was like, God, I remember that black and white tile and I remember the plants. Um, but um, the last bit of the set that I remember that was just so wonderful. And again, I'm always about like the devils in the detail is the old fashioned mic that, that she had. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the thing is, is uh, we don't usually t- talk about sound. Because there's not a big... Sound is not usually something that we delve into. But I want to mention, while we're talking about that old-fashioned mic, there was great sound mixing going on because, you know, she would sing and it sounded amplified. But then when she walked away from the mic, there was a clear difference where she wasn't mic'd anymore. 
but she still was for the theater, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But we could hear the difference between when she's speaking <clears throat> in the mic and when she's not. And it did have that, like, now I'm just speaking to you, but now I'm going to be talking to you, you know. Yeah. And I really appreciated, like I said, what makes and breaks a great show is the devil in the details. The fact that someone's watching that show and going, oh, wait, we got to pay attention to that. It's like in well, mine where you can't create something and then just ignore it because someone will be like, well, where did that picture go? You just dropped it. Right. Well, and also just the the color and tonality that they were able to give the the difference because, you know, when she's talking and not talking into the microphone, you have this more realistic, natural sounding, you know, vocals um, coming out. And then when she's talking into the microphone, you get that grainy feel to it. And I just think that that's brilliant. Yeah. Speaking of brilliant, can we go on to costume? I mean, there's not a lot to talk about, but there is. Right. Well, and I mean, there's definitely an iconic look that Billie Holiday had. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it's it's simple, it's elegant. There weren't any costume changes, but the fact that we were able to create this beautiful illusion of grandeur and like class, even though she was falling apart. You know, is just beautiful. But then also for that costume to just it as it goes on and as she falls apart, the costume falls apart. Like not like literally, but like it looks less straps fall off. Straps fall off. It looks less shiny. It looks less new. It looks less taken care of. Yes. Um, which and I think just, is a good metaphor for Billy herself. It's a gorgeous white dress with diamonds. She has these beautiful diamond earrings and then these white sleeved gloves come all the way up to like the bicep. It is a beautiful look. Then this tight pulled back hair, mm-hmm. you know, that was just flawless. And oh. then she had the white flower, which I believe was a magnolia mm-hmm. in her hair. And so she comes out and she looks perfect. But like you said, the further in we get, the more the alcohol flows. All of a sudden, the flower comes out. We lost an earring. The strap has fallen. The gloves start to come off. I mean, you're exactly right. There just becomes a more disheveled look. But to come out this beautiful and just this vision in white, it. Audra looked gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous in this costume um and i don't know if there's any pictures of billy in that outfit like i mean i'm sure there's a black and white picture you know what i mean um but it was it she she, i feel like if you put we have a record of billy holiday and so i feel like if you put a picture of billy holiday on the record cover next to a picture of Audra McDonald playing Billie Holiday on the um, <clears throat> from the marquee picture of the program. I mean, it's almost tit for tat, you know? It's incredible. So if it's all right with you, why don't we move on to the lights? Yeah, I think that <clears throat> sounds like a great idea. I mean, the lights were They were perfect for the setting and the mood. Yeah, they were simple in what you'd expect, um, which I think is beautiful for that reason. There were... what They didn't use a lot of color, but when they did, it was soft blues and purples when they used color, which I thought 
really brilliant choices because you know that we're not using like reds or pinks so no 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 love sex lust none of that no but it we're, but shows you've complicated got, emotions right and 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 i go back to lady day sings the blues so we get those nice deep blues that sadness but also that purple that but that sadness mixed with anger that's what purple is. Well, well, you. I mean, you can get that, but I also feel like purple is also like uh, atonement or forgiveness. You know, I think of purple and I think of Easter. So that's... Huh. I, okay. Okay, look, growing up Southern Baptist, man, purple was everywhere at Easter. With the ladies with the big hats and stuff like that. Um, so that's why I was like, interesting that... that we use purple in this. Now, the fact that you said it was rage? A- uh, anger? Anger. See, I when I hear anger, I think of red. Well, so blue plus red equals purple. And so sadness and anger. And it becomes this soft maybe, rage that yeah. just burns. So deep. I could see that, but I saw it more as like atonement and maybe she's trying to make a new or something. But 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 it's interesting that we got two different interpretations out of it um then we had this gorgeous white spotlight when 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 billy sang mm-hmm. which i loved because when she wasn't singing we the the like the club was lit in the soft light um you know like the chandeliers were a little bit above but it was like an amber glow that like washed over the club scene does that make sense mm-hmm. enough to see billy and i'm sure there were like specials on her so that we you know it, it was theater but when she was up on the stage and she was singing, we did. We just had that spot, that circle spot that was on her. So she was really, it, it gave us that, that 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 cabaret, that that club feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything. I I mean, this is my interpretation, but it all had this like sad, dreamlike feel to it. Yeah, everything. It just felt like a hazy, sad dream. Um, and I think that's going to lead us into the direction. Which I thought was just wonderful. Done perfectly. We've already mentioned that it played, that it's, there was a play with songs, but I really felt like we were attending one of those like singers and songwriters. Like that. You know, do, um, do you remember on VH1, uh, they had that show... Oh, what was it? It was like singers and songwriters or whatever. But like bands or whatever, they come on and they do like an acoustic version of their stuff. And they like play a song and then they talk about it. And there were people all gathered around. Does this sound familiar at all? No, not at all. Okay, well, I'm dating you then. Like, I'm I'm old. But yeah, so they were, they basically, like Alanis Morissette, for instance, would come on. <clears throat> and she'd sing one of her songs with just an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Somebody would accompany. And then she'd talk about that song, about where she, how she came up with it. That's what this reminded me of. Where Billy would, you know, because it was her and a piano and like a three-piece orchestra, like a drum, bass. And um, she would sing the song and then she'd kind of talk about maybe where that song came from. Or maybe she'd talk about it and lead into the song. Or that she would just tell a story. Or we might have like an aside between her and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. You know? That's why I felt like it was um, kind of that way. But the pacing was just natural and fluid and perfect and just nothing about the show felt rehearsed in the best way. Right. Well, because it it literally seemed like you had Billie Holiday and her band up on the stage, and she was at a nightclub to perform a sh- to perform a set, and because of how intoxicated she is, she just ends up going off the rails and 
it's like singers give antecedent, antecedent, an, antidotes during, um, you know, concerts during, or things like you that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but she was giving too much into it. And they were trying to rein her in in the most composed way. And it's because they knew, they could see that she was spiraling. And it's like, how do you stop someone from spiraling when they're literally being viewed? Right. The back and forth, like everything felt organic. <coughs> the back and forth between Billy and her pianist, it felt natural and ad-libbed. That was what was cool. I was like, this doesn't feel written. This feels like they have an idea of what they're supposed to say and they just go back and forth every night. And I bet if we went back the next night, it might have been different. And Billy's continual spiral into that inebriation and everything was so tragically beautiful and so believable, but it never got so out of control where she was just like rolling on the floor and just, you know, completely uh, un- 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 unintelligible or whatever. It was just enough that we we couldn't look away, but we also could finish the ending. We knew where this was going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so I thought it was just an absolute masterpiece. Definitely. Um, and speaking of masterpieces, should we wrap up with the music? Oh, yeah. It's Billie Holiday. It's iconic music. Uh, if you don't know Billie Holiday, first of all, you uncultured swat. No, I'm kidding. But you do need to look up Billie Holiday and you do need to listen to her. And you need to. What amazes me is that she's not only this brilliant recording artist, she's a songwriter, too. Mm-hmm. So you need to look up what what music she's created and she's contributed to the American songbook and to the world in general, the world of jazz. Um, there are not only like standards in there, like come rain or come shine or God bless the child, but there are important pieces in there too that today might seem like, Oh, I don't know about this. But back then it was like, what? Such Mm -hmm. as strange fruit. Well, and, um, if you're a fan of Billie Holiday like me and, um, the, the sadness that strange fruit is, there's a beautiful movie called um, The United States versus Billie Holiday. And that one also does a beautiful job of going into detail about Strange Fruit and how she was banned from singing it places. And she'd sing it anyway and the trouble that it caused her, um, but why it was so important to her. This, yeah, these these artists, I'd love to do, I, I could write a thesis about it. Um, but when it came out, because when I think of Strange Fruit and Billie Holiday singing it, I also think of, again, Ethel Waters. Um, there was a review, I think it was a George White, no, it was Americana. Americana. I remember learning about this in Broadway, the American musical. Carol Channing's talking about this, where they would basically write songs based on headlines that they had read. Okay? And <coughs> Ethel Waters sang a song called Supper Time. Mm-hmm. And she comes forward, and the the setting for this song is literally the brick wall, the back brick wall of the theater, and they have on it a silhouette of a man hanging from a tree. And she sings a song about, you know, how her man's not coming home for supper time, and how she can explain it to her kids and things like that. And when this, when she performed it. The audience was absolutely agog. They didn't realize that that was still happening or going on Mm -hmm. in the South. And Billie Holiday in the same, I feel like in the same atone, was with her song Strange Fruit doing the same thing of being like, 
this hasn't stopped. This is happening. Do you understand? This isn't in a third world country. This is happening here. Well, and if you think about it, in in a society where these beautiful, amazing, talented artists are viewed as less than just because of the color of this, their skin and the fact that they're female. So what can they do realistically to impact change? And so these women said, no, I'm going to use what I have and I'm going to create these songs. Use my platform, use my skills, use my medium. You will not, you know, th- there might not be a lot that you're going to allow me to do, but this is what you're going to, that I'm going to do that you can't stop me. Yep. So you definitely need to look into her music because it is incredible. And, and, and linking it to the show, what a wonderful recreation of this iconic sound and style of this amazing artist. It was not Audra singing like Audra. It was Audra singing like Bill. That was because Billie Holiday has a unique and, and iconic sound. And I mean, Audra got it. Spot on. And again, not just in the singing, but in the talking. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, she is a true master of her craft. I literally was like, this is, this is far and wide incredible. The fact that you can go from playing Bess and Porgy and Bess to playing, you know. Right. Well, because Audrey McDonald's known for having this beautiful operatic voice. Right. And, and for her to be able to turn it around and do the iconic sound of jazz artist Billie Holiday. With that, a growl. And, and a that's, little, that's uh, amazing. Audra McDonk is like Meryl Streep. There's nothing she can't do. And I'll go see her do anything. In fact, I'm going to go see her next week. now talk about the impact that the show has had on the theater and its history starting with theatrical impact um this was another huge success and a historical success for audra mcdonald mm-hmm. this was her sixth tony she's now the most she's won the most tonys of any performer if memory serves me right at six she's won all of the acting categories both musical and and plays um i feel like she can do no wrong you know so this this show marked like that benchmark for her now i don't think that's her apex by any mean i think she will continue to go i'm I'm sure she will continue to win awards and she will continue to do incredible roles i know that for a fact um but this 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 show will be you know on 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 in audra's autobiography this will be that you know this is where that well this is where she solidified herself as being a overall fantastic actress that is a chameleon for whatever you give her right and then like 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 we've mentioned to to go from knowing being known as that operatic voice to playing billy holiday which is a complete opposite i think that's historical now the other thing I thought that the theatrical impact is it brought to the stage the story of one of the most iconic artists in the history of jazz. 
Right. Well, and especially since this was a script and a story that has been around for a very long time. The original script being written, you know, in nineteen in the nineteen eighties. Like and then for it to be performed in 2014 and be so successful and to be so successful just reminds us that these kind of stories are important for us to continue to share and they're out there and speaking of which it's a beautiful story about a person of color told by a person of color that's honestly that's I, i i hate the argument of there's not enough stories about people of color or by people of color or whatever no they're out there there are so many diverse stories out there, whether they be like this one from the 80s or even from right now. There are so many diverse stories out there. We have to just do them now. And we have to let the people who identify with those stories tell them, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Which is why I love, I mean, I don't think you could do the show any other way, clearly. You know, I mean, I love Chris and Chenna with, but there's no way she could do this show. <laughs> Right, there's no way she could be Billie Holiday. But I, I just, I appreciated that, that, that this is just, and, and I, I want to get past making this point. I want the theater to get to a point where this isn't something unique, where we're not saying, what, a, what a hooray! This is another show by people of, uh, about people of color by people of color. That shouldn't be something special. That should just be the norm. But anyway, in any case, this, this is. So. All right. Well, and I think that that leads us into the societal impact. Um, that really just reminds us what society does to not only people of color, but even but artists like Billie Holiday. Yeah. You know, um, the fact that we idolized her music and her voice, yet we didn't pay her any dignity as a human because society viewed her as less than because of the color of her skin. Absolutely. I also think that it made people aware of the overbearing weight and pressures of fame, as well as the hardships um, a traumatic childhood can cause and manifest itself, you know, alcohol and drug abuse. It kind of helped start a conversation around that. Do we as a society, and also, I mean, we brought it up earlier, do we as a society create something just to destroy it? Do we create these incredible icons just to destroy it? Do we like watching that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it goes back to talking about mental health. If society had been more open and honest about how we approached mental health, would she have been so inclined to drink herself sick if we openly talked about mental health and she could have gotten help to process and cope with her traumas? Right. Would she have been as troubled and ill and... O- all that. But then the double-edged sword of that is would we have gotten the same... I know. Would we have gotten as amazing music and artistry? I, that is the worst thing in the world. That is the worst thing in the world. I, Let us now ask the question, is this show relevant? My opinion. This is a beautiful show with beautiful music and a powerful story. It's perfect for collegiate and regional houses. But... I feel now is not the time for a revival of this show on Broadway. I don't see its story fitting in right now or having a place in the current state of play. Well, and I think that there are different stories we can showcase right now to better help um, the platform that this show uh, presents. But I think that I would go a step further and say that this is something I would love to see performed regionally, but... 
you have to have the right casting. Oh, absolutely. For Billie Holiday. And if you don't have that, the show should not be done because it would be a disservice to the story. Absolutely. This is one of those shows that you have to have the right person. Otherwise, you shouldn't do it. Absolutely. I, can, I cannot agree more with you on that. as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show in 2014, just the one time. Um, fun fact, Hope, this was your first show at the Circle in the Square. I was going to say that, but then I couldn't remember. I, yep. <clears throat> my first show was uh, 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. This will be my second show um, at this theater, but your first. Um I just remember being over the moon with this show. I really do. I already love jazz. I mean, tied with musical theater genre, jazz is my favorite. See, I was never a big fan of jazz, but once I... Because in my mind, all I'd ever heard is like elevator jazz or the, you know, experimental jazz that was happening in Free jazz. Yeah, and I just wasn't into that. But then hearing the color and the tone of Billie Holiday and learning about her story and hearing her lyrics made me go on my own personal journey of jazz and made me realize there are jazz artists that I do love and there are elements and um, jazz genres that I do love. You like big band. You like the old school. You, you, yeah. yeah, I love basically that rag, well, that ragtime sound into like... The 50s. The 50s, basically. Yeah, I love that that big bound sound. But I love I love the storytelling that you get through jazz. I'm not, you know, love songs are fun. But the fact that I could see these other types of stories being told is what really excited me. Of course, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that we saw Audra. We saw Audra McDonald. This was our first time seeing Audra McDonald on stage. Why we didn't go see her in Porgy and Bess, I will, I'm kicking myself. First of all, I am so mad at myself still for not seeing Porgy and Bess. It's a musical written by my husband, George Gershwin. Uh, George and Ira Gershwin. Um, and it had such a phenomenal cast, Norm Lewis and David Allen Greer. Why we didn't go see that? Directed by Diana Paulus, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm an idiot. I'm an absolute idiot. I really am. Um, but I didn't make that mistake, and I haven't made that mistake since, um, you, you know, like since 2015-16. That's when I've been like, no, we're going, we're going, and it's an iconic show, we have to go. And some have been great, or some have not been great, but all of them mostly have been. But we saw Audra, first time seeing Audra, and then after the show, we got to meet Audra. Now... Because of the vocal demands of the show, she was basically on vocal rest, so she really wasn't talking to people. And but when, she, you know, well, not, sorry. I was going to say, when she did, she was like, <clears throat> thank you. Like, she was whispering or, like, mouthing. Well, and what I really appreciate is that she took the time still to to greet the crowd. Because here's here's the thing, like we talked about in the beginning, you know, with stage dooring. They do, the artist doesn't owe you, the artists in the show don't owe you anything after your ticket. Right. Um. 
And so the fact that she still came out and signed autographs and took pictures just really, you know, allowed those fans who did want to, you know, let her know about her performance. It just showed that she she cared that extra step. And I remember mentioning to her, like, hey, you were amazing. We've come all the way from Utah to see the show. And we don't usually drop that line, but when you know, you know. And so her husband, Will Swenson, is a Utah native. He's from Utah. So, of course, that caught her guard. And the minute we said that, she reached out. Oh, my God. And she touched my arm. (laughs) (gasps) Listen, I'm going to fangirl that thing. Like, Audra McDonald touched my arm. And I was like, this is not real. This legend is touching me. But she was so sweet. She did spend like a minute and a half with us. And just Mm -hmm. whispering to us and whatnot. And she is... One of the kindest humans mm-hmm. we have ever met. Well, and at that time, it was either just before or just after um, we did the Rocky Horror Show. And it was before. Went, it was before. It was before it was Will before. came out. So we okay. hadn't run into her yet at Pioneer. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, did we just tell that story now? Or did we I mean, save yeah, it? We, can, we can tell it now. We're going to save it. We're going to save that story for one of our cocktail hours for our patrons. Okay. Meeting both Will Swenson and Andre McDonald. We're going to save that, you know, for our patrons. Um, but she was so nice, and just getting those few words with her and having her touch my arm. <sighs> I adore Andre McDonald. I just, I can't wait to see her next week in the Ohio State Murders and everything else she does to come. Um, yeah. You'll be able to catch Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Maybe at a theater near you. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and patron of the show by getting your backstage pass or by leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar. Information about our backstage pass and our tip jar can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your mask on, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, Quantum Jazz, Kevin McLeod, and Billy Murray.